Today, I wanted to give you a different perspective on the Christmas story. Uh, Last night at the candlelight service, we looked at Jesus as our loving Savior. Uh, Today, we're going to look at how Jesus is also a conquering king. Today, being Christmas, we're going to walk through a text about the birth of Jesus, uh, but probably not one of the passages that you might think of. We're not going to Luke 2. Uh, We're not going to be looking at Matthew 1 or even Isaiah 9. No, today we're headed to the book of Revelation. And you might be skeptical that the Christmas story is found in Revelation, but you'll see it really is there. Now, because it's in the book of Revelation, it's not a typical retelling of the birth of Jesus. Uh, We won't be talking about shepherds or wise men or a manger or a star in the sky. Instead, we're going to talk about a dragon. Uh, So I guess if you wanted a title for the sermon this morning, it would be uh, The Seven-Headed Dragon Who Tried to Eat Baby Jesus. Okay, so if you have a Bible, feel free to open uh, to Revelation chapter 12. Uh, We're going to begin by reading through this section so you can kind of get a feel for it. Revelation 12, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. As is often the case with the book of Revelation, everything here is symbolic. Uh, there's a woman that, in the vision that represents the nation of Israel. There's a dragon that represents Satan. And then the baby being born is Jesus. So hopefully that'll help you figure out what's happening uh, as we read through the text. So the woman is Israel. The dragon is Satan. The baby is Jesus. Revelation 12, beginning with verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Hence the sermon title. Uh, By the way, I can't help but suggest maybe next year when you're setting up your nativity scene, uh, you might consider in the spirit of Revelation 12, adding a little dragon. Uh, You could have him maybe right in front of the manger, crouching. It'd be a good conversation starter at the very least. Of course, it'd probably be hard to find a a seven-headed dragon, but you'll figure that out. Uh, Okay, verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, Uh, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. So that's the Christmas story according to Revelation. 
A couple of foundational things before we dig into this text. Uh, People get tripped up by the book of Revelation for several reasons. First, not everything is meant to be taken literally. In fact, pretty much nothing is. Uh, This whole book is filled with imagery and symbolism. Uh, which is why I kind of like the background here behind these verses. It's a very dizzying picture when you first look at it, because uh, that's exactly how it is when you first read Revelation. There's all sorts of things going on, and it's it's hard to take it all in. It's apocalyptic literature with symbols and numbers and crazy stuff happening. It's just not the way that most of us think. It's a cosmic retelling of events. And so when you read through a section from Revelation, you have to focus on the forest rather than the trees. Take a step back, uh, try to figure out the main point of the text rather than getting caught up on every detail. A lot of it is dramatic ways of retelling stories. It's not meant to be taken literally. Uh, Here's one example of this sort of thing. This is actually from the book of Exodus. This might be something you're more familiar with. Uh, This is Exodus 14 when Israel crosses over the Red Sea uh, on dry ground. Verse 21 says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and he made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. So that's a very straightforward uh, explanation of what happened at the crossing of the Red Sea. God drove the sea back with a strong eastern wind, and it sort of kept the water up uh, so that the the Israelites could cross on dry ground. Now here's the apocalyptic a dramatized way of saying it. This is from the very next chapter where Moses is singing, uh, praising God for what he had just done with the Red Sea. Verse 8, he says, At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap, and the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. Uh, So the blast of God's nostrils is just the wind. (laughs) God doesn't have nostrils. It's just an image of his wrath, his power as he performs this mighty act. And so it's a dramatized way of saying it. That sort of thing happens all the time in the book of Revelation. There's images, apocalyptic retelling of events. They're not meant to be taken literally. So step back, try to get the main point of the text uh, without getting caught up on some crazy details that you might see there. Another thing that trips up readers of Revelation is the timing of events. Sometimes you have things in the past and in the present and in the future uh, all kind of in one place. Uh, even sort of mixed together, and so it's hard to figure out what represents what and when these events took place or are going to take place or are currently taking place. Uh, Jesus said to John at the very beginning of this vision of Revelation, he said, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. So he says right at the start, you've got some things that have taken place or are taking place now and others that are in the future. And at times, as you read Revelation, it's sort of collapsed and mixed together. We'll run into that some today. All of this makes Revelation a difficult book to interpret. Uh, But chapter 12 is actually one of the easier sections. But I just want to warn you, uh, before we get into it, this won't be like our typical sermons through the book of Acts, where the information is straightforward and and simple to understand. takes a bit more work with Revelation. Now, we're not going to cover every detail of this section. That would take forever. Instead, uh, we're just going to hit the main points. Hopefully, you'll understand, uh, broadly speaking, what's being portrayed here. So let's begin with verse 1. Revelation 12, verse 1 says, A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Again, I take the woman to represent the nation of Israel. The twelve stars would represent the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Uh, you might think as you first read it, well, isn't this Mary? Uh, but if you keep reading the chapter, it just doesn't make sense that this is Mary. So I think the woman represents uh, Israel. Verse 2, she was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and agony of giving birth. So a child is about to be born to Israel. Now, this would be Israel's Messiah, Jesus. Verse 3, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. The dragon, as we'll see later, is explicitly mentioned that he is Satan, the devil. Notice that the dragon has diadems on his head, or heads, technically. Uh, Diadems is a fancy word for crowns. The crowns would symbolize authority. So the dragon has some sort of authority. Uh, Elsewhere in scripture, Satan is referred to as the prince of the power of the air, even as the god of this world. Uh, During the temptation narrative of Jesus, you remember Satan said to him, bow down to me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world, which implies that Satan had them. He has some kind of authority or influence over the world. Humanity was in his grip. When Adam and Eve sinned, the world became the the, the domain of Satan. Uh, In verse 4, we're going back in time a bit, and then we're speeding up to the birth of Jesus. This is one of those places where it kind of skips around, so hang with me. Verse 4, speaking of the dragon, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. So Satan was originally created as an angel. He rebelled against God. And in that rebellion, this verse seems to be saying he led one-third of the angelic host to rebel with him. Uh, You'll notice later in the section as we read that it talks about him having angels. So he has uh, spiritual beings, what we would call today demons, fallen angels, uh, that are in service to Satan. The sweeping of the angels took place a long time ago. Uh, But the woman giving birth is now the story of Jesus. So we're we're zooming ahead now to the birth of Christ at the end of verse 4. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. This dragon is very concerned about the child that is coming. He wants to kill the baby as soon as it's born. And I think this devilish spirit is what drove Herod to kill the babies in Bethlehem. Satan knew that this child was coming into the world to destroy him, to take the world back from his grip. But even beyond this point in time, Satan, I believe, has tried long before Christ was even born to stop him from ever being born. Uh, There are numerous times when I would say demon-possessed people uh, try to stamp out the bloodline of Christ. One example would be this uh, wicked woman in the Old Testament named Athaliah. It had been said that the Messiah would be a descendant of Judah. Of course, Jesus was descended from the tribe of Judah. Athaliah, in 2 Chronicles, tried to destroy the entire royal family of Judah, every uh, every relative and, and descendant within that bloodline. And she almost succeeded. She killed all of them except for one. A little baby named Joash was rescued and hidden from her and survived. He had to be kept hidden for six years. And so the bloodline of Jesus was rescued from Athaliah's plot. I think that was one of many desperate attempts made by Satan to devour the child. He has been trying from before Jesus was born to stop him from ever being born. Then at his birth, Satan tried to get Herod to kill him by killing all of the babies in Bethlehem. And all throughout Jesus' life, Satan tried to prevent him from fulfilling his mission 
of rescuing the world from Satan's grip. Satan even entered into Judas and led him to betray Jesus so he could be arrested and killed. Of course, Jesus rose again, and the efforts of Satan to kill him ended in utter failure. As verse 5 says, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Again, notice there in verse 5 that that the timing of events is collapsed. It kind of skips right through uh, the child being born, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. It kind of skips through all of that and gets right to the ascension where Jesus is taken up to God and is seated on the throne. I think the point here is that in a striking way, the birth of Jesus guaranteed the reign of Christ in heaven. His birth leads directly to his ascension and coronation as king. At that moment when Jesus was born, the fate of Satan and his domain was sealed. Despite Satan's attempts to thwart the purposes of God, Jesus was born. He lived, he died, he rose again, and he ascended to heaven where he now rules from the Father's right hand. The mission was successful. Without getting into the last half of the chapter, we're not going to look at that today. Suffice it to say, Satan tries to do the same thing now with the church. He couldn't stop Jesus from providing that sacrifice for sins and a way of salvation, and so now he's shifted his attention to us. And he desperately tries to thwart the efforts of the church at getting the gospel out to the lost world. He opposes us with the same vigor that he opposed Jesus with. And, just like with Jesus, his efforts will ultimately fail. But I think that's what's being said in those last several verses of the chapter that we didn't read. Basically, the first half is the cosmic battle that takes place in heaven. The last few verses of the chapter deal with Satan's attacks against the church. He failed at destroying Jesus, so now he tries to attack Jesus' people. So the chapter ends by saying, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So in case you're wondering what the rest of the chapter is, I think that's what it's talking about. Back to verse 5. So the child was born. This dragon was crouching there trying to destroy the child, and yet... His efforts to stop him from being born were futile. And so uh, Revelation 12 wants us to see the Christmas story as a clash of kingdoms where a terrifying dragon is defeated by the birth of a baby. Verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Jesus died, he rose again, He ascended to heaven where he is now seated, ruling over his people. And the kingdom of Christ will spread to include all the nations of the world. See that in verse 5. The Great Commission is being fulfilled now as the gospel goes out into the lost world. And one day it will succeed and all the nations will belong to Christ. And it happens, as we'll see, through the spread of the gospel. Jesus stays at the Father's right hand until every enemy is subdued. And all the earth is in submission to him, living in obedience to his commands. Verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now here's where things get tricky. Uh, What is this about Israel fleeing for a period of time, 1,260 days? Uh, There's all sorts of answers to that question. 
that people have come up with. I'm not really concerned with answering that today. Uh, we're focused on the birth of the child and the results that it has on the dragon and his domain. So we're going to skip over that detail for now. Verse 7, war arose in heaven, Michael and the angels uh, and his angels fighting against the dragon. So you've got the angel, angelic host of God uh, fighting against Satan and his demons. And it says the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So the child was born. He was taken into heaven. And as the kingdom of Christ is expanding to all the nations, at the same time, there's this spiritual warfare taking place in heaven. And I don't know exactly what that means, but in some way, there is a clash of kingdoms. Satan's kingdom is at war with the kingdom of Christ. And the important part is the end of that verse. In the end, Jesus wins. Verse 9 says, The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So in the end, Satan is defeated. Peter says that Satan now is seeking to destroy us like a roaring lion. He makes war against the kingdom of Jesus by attacking Christians in various ways. But no longer is he able to enter heaven and accuse us before God. Jesus' death justified us forever. We are declared righteous by God. Satan has no case against us. And so our salvation is secure. Now the dragon has been thrown down to earth where he continues to wage war against us. But in the end, Jesus will defeat Satan entirely. He will be thrown down to hell. The one who deceived the whole world will be exposed as people have their eyes opened to the gospel of Christ. And in that day, verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. So how is it that this victory will come to pass? How does Jesus' kingdom defeat Satan and his demonic forces? Notice that the verses there say, we do it. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down and they have conquered him. It doesn't say Jesus conquered him. We as Christians are fighting against Satan and we will win. And here's how we do it. By the blood of the Lamb. So that's, that's the gospel of Jesus' death for our sins being spread into the world to all the nations. And by the word of our testimony, including not loving our lives even unto death. So watch this now. We conquer Satan by preaching the gospel, spreading the news of Jesus uh, who, who died for our sins and being faithful uh, to, to declare this message to the lost world even unto death. As the church experiences persecution, that's not a win for Satan. That's a win for us if we're faithful through it. Our testimony in such circumstances is a weapon in this battle. Now, I hope that that makes sense of the text, at least mostly broadly speaking. I'm sure you have a few questions about some details. Let's close with a few practical lessons. What are the takeaways for us as Christians from Revelation 12? Number one, Satan will fight with everything that he has. We should anticipate that. Don't be surprised when you experience opposition as you seek to advance the gospel and be a force for the kingdom of Christ. Satan will fight with everything that he has. We're in a battle. 
First Peter chapter 5 says, Be sober, minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Lesson number two, Jesus wins. Uh, sometimes it's easy to get discouraged in this battle, to think that we may be on the losing side. Revelation 12 reminds us that Satan is a defeated foe. He's like a dead man that just hasn't fallen over yet. His time is short, and he knows it. In the end, Jesus will reign victorious, and Satan will be crushed. 1 John 4, 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Number three, God loves surprise endings. God uses little things to accomplish big things. He uses David to defeat Goliath. When the odds are against you and it seems like there's no hope, that's when God likes to move. You might think sometimes, what can I do for the kingdom of Jesus? What can a little church like ours really accomplish? Remember that God slays the dragon with the birth of a baby. God kills Goliath, the giant, with a boy and a stone. He uses the weak. He uses little things to make a big impact. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Number four, Jesus uses us to crush Satan. That part is really cool. Here in Revelation 12, the Christmas, I'm sorry, the Christians defeat Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony of faithfulness to death. God uses them to defeat the dragon. I love how Paul ends the book of Romans. Look at this verse 20. He says to them, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. How awesome is that? Uh, God will crush Satan under our feet. And as we've seen in Revelation 12, this happens through the preaching, the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus. As we are faithful to advance Christ's kingdom by making disciples of Jesus, as the rule and reign of Christ expands to all nations of the world, that's how Satan is defeated. And so we all have a part to play in this cosmic battle. In Genesis chapter 3, God said that one day the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Revelation 12 shows us, shows us that this is what Christmas is all about. It's one aspect of the Christmas story that's often overlooked. We like the manger scene. We like the wise men bringing gifts. We like the little baby sleeping silently. But we often forget that this baby is a king. The man-child who was born will rule all nations. And when Jesus died and rose again, the head of Satan was crushed. The death blow was dealt. Now we are headed for certain victory, and he is headed for certain defeat. 
The birth of baby Jesus was the beginning of the end for Satan. Rather than the dragon destroying the baby, the baby is destroying the dragon through us. So be faithful, make disciples, keep working for his kingdom because we're on the winning side. It was on that first Christmas day 2,000 years ago that the dominion and kingdom of Satan began to crumble. And that's worth celebrating. Merry Christmas.